Hey everyone, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host Chris Desmond. Today we're at episode number 19 and I'm talking with Nick Morrison. Nick and I first met at university down in Dunedin a little while ago now and he was gracious enough to agree to come and record a podcast with me all these years later. So today Nick shares with us a bit about his journey from working as a personal trainer, getting to train Claudia Schiffer, starting up his own business, and also turning 30 on a rooftop in Rio de Janeiro. We talk a bit about human potential, both as individuals and as societies, and about how we are holding ourselves back at the moment in both of these instances. Then we jump into what Nick's doing at the moment. He's helping to change how we think about waste, especially about plastic waste. Now this is pretty important to us as we continue to use more and more single serve items. Where does this plastic end up? How long does it take to break down? And is there a better way? Of course there is. And today Nick gives us a bit of insight into it. We talk about the challenges of getting this information across and about trying to change the habits of a society. Nick believes that New Zealand can be a leader in this area, but currently we aren't stepping up. So he lets us know some things that we can do as individuals to help get the ball rolling. Obviously Nick is pretty passionate about this topic, so there are a few choice words from time to time, but I think that probably adds to the discussion. I got a lot of new insight from chatting to Nick, and I hope you guys enjoy getting uncomfortable with us today. Welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thanks for sitting down with me on a on a Sunday afternoon to have a bit of a chat. No worries. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Nick, can you give uh, the listeners a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'll go back to where I'm from originally. I'm born and bred in Timaru, um, South Island, um, two hours south of Christchurch there on the east coast of um, South Island. Um, went to Timaru Boys High School, um, is, is my high school there, but then went to um, Otago University, where I met you. Um, we were in the same hall together at uh, Knox College there. I did a degree in PE, sports science, um, which I loved. It was an amazing degree, and I um, learned so many amazing things about the human body and about science. And, you know, we've kind of got that in common with you and your um, physio background. Um, and then from there, I went to Wellington for a year, and then I got into personal training there at um, the Les Mills in um, in Wellington and did that for, I did it in Wellington for about four months and then I moved to Auckland, then had two years at the Auckland City Les Mills, um, which was great, it was really challenging, really challenging to, to get your um, your own business up and running because um, that's how it works, you pay your, your, your weekly rent and then you charge what you want to charge and do what hours you want to do kind of thing, so you have to, you know, so that, and that sort of definitely introduced me to business, the business side of things. And so then I did the big trip overseas and went to 
London, went via, um, I did six weeks on my own through um, Thailand and Southeast Asia. And then, yeah, lived in London for four and a half years. And while I was there, I well, I, well, I did a few different jobs and I first got there from labouring for an um, arborist to trying to sell uh, fitness memberships, which was the worst job ever. <laughs> I hated that job. And then, and then I got lucky and, and landed a job at a really poncy, fancy um, Pilates studio in Notting Hill. For those who have been to Notting Hill in London will know that there is a lot of money around that part of the world. And so um, we had really high-end customers. Um, and I love, I love dropping this name, but we used to get uh, Claudia Schiffer in our classes. So I love telling Sweet. people I trained Claudia Schiffer. So yeah, I, that's Good laugh. Hey, bringing that back to school days, I, you know, if I'd ever said to my mates at school that one day I'll train Claudia Schiffer, I would have <laughs> <laughs> been laughed off the um, the, the schoolyard. But um, that, yeah, that happened, and so then I, I did that for yeah, a couple of years there, and then I went out my own because it was great. And it was great training these celebrities and stuff, and being amongst some really wealthy and influential people. It was a really eye, you know, opening small boy from Simru seeing that kind of wealth and stuff was pretty crazy. Um, but it was wasn't great. I wanted to work on my own, so I went out on my own and um, trained people privately in their houses. So firstly, I was rushing around on London tubes and London buses and stuff from house to house and training people in their in their homes or in their offices, um, depending on their, their situation. And then I got a scooter and used to buzz around London on a scooter. Yeah, it was so much fun. Came off a couple of times, but um, yeah, it was great fun. And then I started a, a business in in London with a um a couple of ladies um called Exit um and that was just sort of like a taking sort of a CrossFit type approach um and doing that outdoors it was really cool but the ladies I did it with were really lovely people but had different things going on in their lives I guess and so that kind of um, ended before it really got going which was a bit of a shame but and yeah I also managed a another Pilates studio for a bit while there again doing this um I didn't mention it before but this this Pilates called Reformer Pilates and that was sort of a specialized sort of type of Pilates using these reformer machines that, that I did at the place in Notting Hill so yeah that was my time in London and then yeah I, I had a big sort of one of those big sort of life choice moments was I going to stay and try and run this exit company on my own or was I going to go um to the football world cup in Brazil and <laughs> <laughs> and I chose the latter. Yeah, when I went to, went to Brazil and uh, turned 30 on a rooftop in Rio de Janeiro overlooking um, Cabana Beach. It was a hell of a birthday, I tell you. Awesome. I probably can't tell you everything that happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you had a hell of a time doing that and travelled all through Central America. Well, more uh, yeah, Central and South America. And um, then came home and started working with Innocent Packaging, with, with Tony um, at Innocent Packaging, and haven't looked back really, yes, that's been, I've been there 19 months or so, yeah, it'll be two years in January 2017, so yeah, that's a bit of a, a long-winded background, sorry. There's some good, there's some good background there, Nick, um, <laughs> but I think kind of one of the things that I was hearing from that is there's been a lot of change with the stuff that you've been been doing, and uh, you're obviously reasonably comfortable chopping and changing with things. I think so. Eh? I, I, you know, just talking then. I mean, there were big choices to say quit the job at, at um, the Pilates place in, in Notting Hill and go out on my own. That was a massive call, and I thought about it for a long time and talked to a lot of friends about it and talked to my parents, who I'm really close with, and got lots of um, 
advice, you know, and, and then took took the leap of faith and went for it and backed myself and, 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 and it came out. And I think doing those kind of things, you know, it gives you confidence. And so I guess I'm probably a bit more confident and assured in, yeah, I guess the uncomfortable or, or making those kind of changes and stuff now moving forward, you know. Yeah, I think as you're saying that every time you do something and you and you learn from it, you get a little bit more confidence mm-hmm. to go on and kind of take a bit of a bigger leap there in the next one as well. Absolutely, eh? And changes. I mean, everyone reacts to change differently, and, and you know, and, and that's totally fine. And um, I guess I I really like to try and make the most of. Uh, this is a bit deep, but. There's time on on, on, your pla- on the planet, you know, and I think it's just amazing and life is such an amazing thing and blah, blah, blah. I really want to maximise my time on here and I do get a little bit maybe bored or a little bit, yeah, like being in the same job for a long time. Again, using that example of my Notting Hill Pilates place, it was great and, 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 and did it for two years, but um, uh, it was the same thing every day essentially and I felt I wanted to do more and I, and I need to, 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 for that to happen, I had to change it. I had to take control of my life and I had to take control of uh, my decisions and, um, and and change that. And yeah, it wasn't easy. It was it was fucking nerve wracking at the time. But um, I got through it. And um, yeah, yeah, definitely have built confidence. And and I guess that makes you start thinking, what else can I do? And what else? What's next? And you, I guess it starts opening up your your vision a bit more. I guess in your yeah, I've recently kind of been thinking a lot about kind of human potential and human capability and kind of exactly how much we're capable of and how much we kind of limit ourselves mm. with with our lack of confidence mm. and with our, our lack of belief in, mm. in ourselves. And I mean, there's, I was having a conversation last night with a few people about they're doing the, the round Taupo cycle race, mm. which is 160k, yeah. but which is a, is a pretty awesome physical feat. Yeah. But there's guys there that start on the Wednesday and they'll cycle, and it's the endurance one, and they'll cycle like 10 or 12 laps of the lake from Wednesday through until Saturday. <laughs> so that's like 1,600 Ks in four days. And the the mind just kind of boggles that these people probably aren't sort of super different to you and me. Mm. Um, obviously, they're better cyclists than yeah. I am. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it's I think it's they've just kind of put in the work and they've got to this level, but... If I kind of think about it myself, that if I think, oh, could I go out and ride 1,600 Ks? I was like, oh, hell no. Mm. But if I actually put in the training, then I'm not sure I'm, I might be able to do that. Oh, yeah, absolutely you could. Uh, you know, look, As you'll know, being a physio as, as well, like the human body is, ama- is an amazing thing and can do amazing feats. And, yeah, even just for survival, you know, that we... The way we've evolved to deal with fight or flight, and we can do some incredible things and have some incredible um, bouts of strength and speed and quick decision making to save our lives and stuff. And then, yeah, training. If you train and, and strengthen your body and improve your, you know, functionality in your body, then you can do incredible feats. You know, you look at, I mean, we've got the Olympics coming up soon, and you know, you'll watch some of that mm-hmm. stuff. Well, we won't go into drug cheating and stuff, but. <laughs> yeah, they, they, some of those things those athletes can do, they've devoted their lives to, to trying to, I don't know, flip backwards or jump high over a pole or whatever, and they can do some incredible stuff from, you know, just training the body and, and, and priming yeah. the body and, and I guess, you know, feeding it with the right foods and, and 
um, sleeping really well and, and just getting your body really primed. You can do incredible feats, eh? Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I had a I had a chat with uh, Quentin Rowe, who's the New Zealand rep race walker. Um, he's episode four on the podcast, um, and his his training. He's when I was talking to him, he was putting in two hundred and seventy k walking a week, <laughs> which the the mind just kind of boggles. So yeah, I think we have all this capacity, most of us, that we don't particularly use. It interests me in how we can kind of go about tapping into that, and I think one of the ways is by by pushing into the uncomfortable and getting out of our comfort zone. And and I think like like you're saying, it's a small bit to start with, and that builds some confidence to kind of push you a little bit more and push you a little bit more. And yeah, who knows where yeah. where we'll get to? I think we just kind of need to keep pushing the pushing the boundary with it, yeah. though. Agreed. And I'm just thinking there while you're talking, I wonder sort of our well, my past profession and a fitness trainer and yours now as a, as a physio, like we see that all day, every day with, with clients and with customers that mm. come to us with injuries or pain or, you know, they're not happy with their fitness or their body shapes or whatever. And you know, and, and I know, like, well, in X amount of time, we'll have them stronger and we'll have them fitter because we've seen it before and we've done it before mm. and we yeah. know how things work and we know but they don't know that. They sort of come to you unsure. They come to you in pain. They come low on confidence. And you see them and you encourage them and you, and you push them and you, and you challenge them to keep doing more challenging things, basically, because as they get stronger, they need to then lift heavier weight. Or as they get fitter, they need to you know, run a bit further. And we're mm-hmm. constantly in that profession pushing people and, and demanding that they do a bit more. And, and I guess that's pushing them into the uncomfortable, you know. And then they become comfortable with that, and then they become fitter and stronger and without pain. And so, yeah, I guess you and I have probably had with those those choice of professions quite a unique insight into dealing with uncomfortable and and, and pushing people through that, knowing it's going to be okay and knowing about the outcome. You know, when 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 they don't. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there, and that's something that I'm relatively comfortable with is the is kind of that that physical side of things, but. There's a lot of other stuff that heaps of other people are better at than I am in terms of kind of having tough conversations and uh, kind of exploring ideas a little bit more as well. And I think that's one of the that was one of the purposes of the podcast actually is to, to challenge myself to to have these conversations that are a little bit deeper mm. that aren't just about like the All Blacks or mm. the Hurricanes or the Highlanders. Yes. Yes, um, the Highlanders. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about the Crusaders last night. Oh, eh? mate, no, no, I'm all, I'm all Highlanders, man. Yep. Oh, sweet, yep. sweet, yeah. Sweet. It might be, uh, yeah, it might be another Hurricanes, uh, Hurricanes Highlanders final. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same result. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I'm I'm okay with the Highlanders winning. Um, <laughs> sweet. So, Nick, I'm I'm going to change tack a little bit here, mate. Um. So you've come back from the you've come back from the UK and you've gone to work for Innocent Packaging, which is from kind of just the superficial look at it, it's quite a large change in career for you from going from a a trainer to. Do you want to tell us a bit about kind of? Yeah, well, yeah, I've definitely thought about that quite a lot, and I guess it's something I've become you know now a lot more comfortable in. And it was a very uncomfortable decision at the start, and that was. Yeah, we worked out at 19 months ago, but now I'm really quite comfortable. And I do now and again just sort of reflect on 
the choices I've made and that, that, the decision to get out of fitness and, and into this. But yeah, so tracing it back, I, I was brought up by parents who were just, you know, they just were naturally sort of environmentally conscious. Like it wasn't a big thing. It just were like we, um, dad always used to go for runs and come back and he'd have bag of cans you know he would have picked up while he was running and he'd crush them and come back and and do that and it was just that was kind of normal in our house and we always had a compost bin and just never thought you know when you're brought up in that environment you don't that's all you know so you don't think anything differently so I've always kind of had that I guess that environmental upbringing and um, you know being a real nature lover and, and I'll often <laughs> stop and film birds or bugs or whatever I'm slow-mo on, on my phone and stuff I just find nature just incredibly fascinating and you know going through the um, Amazon in, in, in Brazil I was just uh, absolutely awestruck by I think it's the right term um, by the the nature there and just the size of that river and the amount of water that goes through there it's just it's just absolutely amazing so yeah clearly I've got some sort of environmental um, blood or whatever you want to term it running through my body and I guess I it's always been there and, you know, like living in London, I remember setting a, 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 up a compost bin there and my flat was like, oh, it'll stink, oh, it'll be smell. And oh, I was like, don't give a shit. We're not putting food into the landfill, you know. And um, then we, I got them growing our own vegetables and um, we had a recycling bin and I had to bloody buy a whole new bin because I wouldn't put it in the bag in the cupboard. So make it really easy for them. So I've kind of, <laughs> yeah, I've always had those kind of environmental sort of tendencies, I guess. And then... The real kind of trigger or catalyst was was travelling through for that six months stint I did through. Um, I went to Brazil, Colombia, Panama, Costa Rica, Guatemala, Belize, Mexico, Cuba, and then a bit of the States as well. And a lot of those countries I just sort of rattled off are just so beautiful. And like, you know, the, the, the flora and fauna you see there are just so different to New Zealand and so yeah, absolutely beautiful. But I was just so saddened I think the right word about the rubbish and stuff that you would see and I'll never forget going to the um, Sunblast Islands and so between Mexico, uh, sorry, Colombia and Panama you have to take a boat to get there because the Pan Am Highway hits the, this bit of a Kiwi term but bush there the, the, the jungle that they, they can't get through so the, the road stops so you have to get a boat and so there's heaps of um you know, options for sailboats or whatever. It's quite a business, obviously, to get um, people from um, Panama to Colombia or, or the other way. And so I took one of those boats and we would stay on, we did it like it was over three nights. And only t- you could do it in like a few hours if you wanted to, but you, you know, take your time and you stop off all these beautiful islands. Like they look like postcard islands, you know, with one palm tree on them, you know, and beautiful sandy beaches. And, and then there's obviously much bigger ones as well that we stayed at. But we got to this one and um, it was beautiful, and we swam around in the water and snorkeled a bit. And then me and a couple of the others that were on the boat, we walked up and over the, the island slightly and down the other side, and I sort of felt this sort of crunching under my feet, and I could sort of see a few plastic bottles, and and I sort of pulled apart these weeds that were sort of vines that are sort of growing out, and um, underneath them was just bottles, just plastic bottles, plastic bottles as far as you could see, really, along this, well, what would have been the beach, but plastic bottles had come and then there's sort of grass or, or, or vines sort of growing over it and I was just so dumbfounded I just couldn't believe it that that's how 
we are treating the world, you know, and it's, you know, this is single use plastic bottles that people use once and then chuck away and don't care where it goes or don't care or don't think where it goes. Don't bother. It's out of sight, out of mind. And here it is piling up. And so it's actually being there and seeing the impacts of that behavior. It was, it really, yeah, just saddened me. I was just like, this, this isn't right. And this has got to be a better way. And we're, we're better than this as, a, as, a, as, as humans, you know. And as you sort of touched on earlier, like we've got our potential and stuff is so huge, but we're not achieving it as, as, as we should be, I don't believe. And um, that is just a really good example of that, I thought. And so, yeah, and there was numerous cases. Like I started taking photos of like rubbish that I'd see here, there and everywhere. And you'd go to these beautiful beaches and there'd be rubbish on them. And I was like, this isn't that beautiful? You know, like coming from New Zealand, the beaches here mm. are still so untouched, really. And... um yeah, so that whole trip and it, it really kind of was a catalyst, I think. And I came back to um, New Zealand totally broke, but full of, um, I guess, motivation to sort of put my energies and time into trying to sort of fix that or correct that or do something towards. It. I couldn't just watch and, and not and not sort of do something about it. And I didn't know that I was going to work for innocent packaging then straight away. I didn't even know that compostable packaging existed then. It was totally foreign to me. And so I, I, I came back and thought I'd sort of get back into the fitness thing. But um, through a friend, um, got in touch with, with, with Tony who founded um, Innocent and, and got talking with him and we got on really well and had really similar visions. And um, yeah, I guess the rest is history kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm so aggressive. I can't remember what your original question was. Now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, mate. Do you want to give us a bit of a bit of background about innocent packaging? Kind of what's its what's its pur- what's its purpose? What do you guys do? Um, so, quick background story. So, Tony, similar kind of story he had um, in a way, a bit of travelling and stuff as well. And he came back and started a um, reusable um, cup company and called Momug. And he did that for a while, but just found that. You know, some people do do it, and people pick up the cups and and, and re- do reuse them, but many people don't, and um, that's the sort of key thing there. Oh, I won't go into that too much right now, but that's just sort of how the company started. And then he was like, to get bigger change, we need a better a better solution than this. And then researched um, around um, disposable coffee cups. Didn't want to do plastic lined ones, and so found out about um, the PLA lined ones. And PLA stands for polylactic acid, and that is um, derived from Corn, we get it from corn or maize, but you, you get it. It's it's a natural occurring. It's it's sugars. Um, lactate is a naturally occurring substance that's um in all plants. It's, it it gets a bit tricky here when you try to explain, keep it really simple for people's understanding. Um, but it is a bit of biology and um sort of um to explain what it all is. But I for anyone who I guess is listening and, and, and wants to find out more, definitely do a bit of research on polylactic acid or PLA. And so that's been a pretty amazing. Uh, innovation within uh, the packaging industry and so um, it's made entirely from plants and then it is compostable after use the key thing around it is that it's certified to compost in, in, in under 12 weeks time but but it needs to be in a hot compost environment being over 60 degrees because you need the heat to cause hydrolysis which is the breaking down of the polymers basically um, so then the microorganisms in the compost can start eating them up so it's just like essentially like chopping up um, something with some scissors to make it more edible. Like cutting up, I don't know if it's a good analogy or not, but cutting up an apple so it's a bit easier to eat, you know what I mean? Um, but 
micro micro level, you know, micro organisms that people can't see with their natural with our natural eyes. You need um, microscopes, etc., to see them. So that's that. PLA was was a real sort of game changer in, in, in industry, and so that sort of you know Tony started with um, those cups, and then cafes were like, hey, can we do smoothie cups and straws? And the range sort of gradually grew from there. And then I sort of came in about that time, like it had been going for a year, and yeah, came in full of uh, energy and enthusiasm after my travels, and we've now expanded the range, and we've got a really exciting product range made out of wheat straw, and so that is a waste product so it's even more sustainable and more exciting really than the the PLA in the sense that it's it's already grown for the the wheat so the the, the wheat grows and you've probably seen you know videos and of them get, of it getting harvested and stuff like that and then that just takes the husk off the top of the the wheat and you've got that big long bit of straw left behind and in the past they just get burnt and um you know releasing all that carbon straight up into the air so they now take the the, the the straw I hang about you know this is not a waste this is a resource and we can use that and they simply just mash it up with with, with water heat pressure and create this paste and then you press that into bowls clamshells plates etc and um, then the water that gets used for the factory that we that we work with um, they've got a worm farm beside the the factory so the water goes onto the worm farm and worm castings go back to the wheat um, farm. And the worms get, they, they, they're a bit unlucky. They get fed to fish every couple of months or so. But <laughs> that's this circular model. And I, um, I, I get, I get the mickey taken out of me a bit in the office. Like, I'm always doing this in my arm, drawing a circle, big sort of circle. Because nature is a circle. You know, it, everything in nature grows, dies, decays. And then something else grows and it lives for however many years or sometimes days or sometimes even just a few hours. And then it dies and then it breaks down and then something else grows. And so it's a circular, model that's been happening for billions of years, the beginning of time. Whereas we've come along recently with this great new idea that's a linear model where we drill for oil at greater and greater environmental and economic costs and risk. And then we create this toxic man-made substance that we call plastic. And then we use it once, sometimes just for a few seconds, and sometimes to do jobs that our body can do anyway, like a straw. I mean, we're quite capable of sipping out of a glass, but instead we want to put a, a plastic straw um, between our mouth and that drink. And then we, we drink it once and then we chuck it out. And then that doesn't break down. It, 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 it's an inert substance. It, well, everything will break down over time eventually, but we're talking thousands of years here for it to break down. And we're just pumping the stuff out, just piling it up, you know, and it's finishing up in, landfills and it's finishing up in the Amazon and it's finishing up on beautiful beaches in Panama and Costa Rica and it's um, finishing up in the oceans and, and uh, I, this is a, a stat from National Geographic last year, they, they I think they published it last year, it might have been this year, I can't remember now, but they estimate 8 million tons of plastic go into the ocean every year and People, I think, don't quite comprehend that. Like, it's it's so big a number, you can't get your head around. Like, you just think how light a straw is, or how light a plastic bottle is, and now try and work out how much a ton of plastic must then be, and then think a million tons, and then think eight million tons every year going into the oceans. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like it's sorry about the language, but it gets me it gets me a bit riled up. Like, I mean, what, how is that intelligent? How is that? How is that obviously sustainable? How can we keep doing that? Like, and we can't. Like, it's 
you know, you see constantly, well, I do, obviously, because I follow these things on, on social media, etc. but constantly we're seeing whales dying on beaches and they've got their stomachs full of plastic. And, you know, the birds, something, this crazy stat, something like 90% of um, seabirds now found with plastic in their stomachs. 90%? Like, shouldn't we have sort of started saying, hey, this is crazy, when it was like 9%? Hey, this is not great. We should change. But it's ninety percent of seabirds with, with plastic in their stomachs, and you know, like people still will get a straw in their drink and then chuck it out, and you know, or your two straws, and then they'll get another drink with two more straws in it, or they go to the the supermarket and they get another plastic bag, and yeah, it's just the, the stupidity of it is what gets me going really, and, and trying to change that um, is it's challenging, man. It's, <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's been a big, big, long challenge that, um, yeah, I, I didn't initially realise it'd be quite so challenging. Like, yeah, I think the use of the use of plastic is it's so embedded in our society now that if you if you go out and, and buy a drink, someone will just yeah. pop a straw in it, or if you go to the supermarket and mm. they'll they'll just give you a, a plastic bag, and it's it's just easy and it's. Well, the straw is not overly convenient. Sometimes a poke in the eye if you yeah. drink out of the glass. But the plastic, oh, the plastic bag yeah. to carry your uh, carry your stuff is, yeah, it is. It, it's relatively convenient, and it's. Yeah, I'm just thinking, because yeah. uh, like plastic has revolutionised the way we live, and it is so convenient. And and that's one of the real challenges is to transform the way we live um, into a sustainable circular model, where. We're not going to create this, you know, we're not going to trash the world for future um, generations and future people and for ourselves, but keep it, keep that convenience factor. And so that's where something like compostable packaging is, is, is so exciting because people can go along and they can get their takeaway coffee as they do every day from the coffee company or the, or the cafe and they can drink it and they can throw it into a bin. And then that can be, that bin can be compostable. It all just takes food scraps and it takes compostable packaging or, or, or packaging made out of plants. Yeah, the same. Things. It's made out of plants, food is plants, and then you put that into a composting environment and it'll break down and you put that compost back into the soil. And that person won't even know, they won't, their life is no different, you know what I mean? And where the challenge comes is when, yeah, you like tell people, sorry, you've got to have a, a keep cup or you, you, you've got to bring your own bag or whatever. People, mm. people are willing to do a little bit and they're willing to go so far, but everyone's got their kind of limits and they're kind of frustratingly not that. <laughs> yeah, that big. Um, but equally, in people's defence, like people, you know, it's it's hard work. Like we're constantly getting told, should eat this and shouldn't eat that, and do more exercise, and you're supposed to look like this, and you're supposed to behave like that, and you should have a house by now, and you should be whatever. And people get exhausting, and it's really it's exhausting to to change your behaviour. Like you have to consciously think about it. And like I, I use myself an example when I first sort of got on my no plastic bag rant was when I was living in London and sort of saw some articles about it there and um, was like, I don't want to be part of this problem anymore. It's crazy. And, and so I had to really train myself to stop using plastic bags because they are so convenient, so easy. Um, and, and not using them was hard. And, and so I would be walking out of there and we had this little um, supermarket just near where I lived and I'd go there most nights to grab stuff you know all the food would all be really packaged in plastic and then I'd be putting it in a plastic bag so I had to try really hard not to use a plastic bag and I'd be putting it in my my pockets I'd have it in my uh, my jeans pockets often wearing a hoodie um, have it in my hoodie pocket and even in the hood 
I put, you know, bunches of bananas or something in the hood of my, my, my jersey just out of this total determination to not be part of that, that, that problem. That was just, just the stupidity. And I just was like, I don't want to be part of that. And it took a lot of effort and a lot of, um, yeah, it was exhausting, you know, but I got there. I got through sheer determination. I kind of got it. And now it's an absolute habit. Like I just always got a reusable bag in the car. Um, I go to, to a market, well, like I did this morning, bought some veggies, whatever, came back, I put the stuff in the fridge and I put my bag back in the car and I don't even think about it. It's just like brushing my teeth now, you know. So that's, yeah, trying to, to make sustainability really convenient for people and really easy for people. And you kind of need a bit of give both ways. You need people willing to make a little bit of effort or be, I guess, aware of the problem and aware of the issues. And that's the thing I've got to sort of keep remembering a bit because I'm so deep into this and I'm surrounded by it and, you know, all day I'm trying to sort of champion this stuff. And, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people have got other things that they're worried about and other stresses in their lives and stuff and getting a, a coffee cup lined with plastic with a plastic lid, they just, it's not really part of their problem or, or, or it is part of their problem, but they're not part of their conscious problem then and there. And so you've got to try and make it so they can keep yeah, living their lives and we can keep things convenient but do it in a circular model, do it in a sustainable model. Um, and yeah, there's some really exciting stuff happening as well. I mean, that sometimes sound a bit doom and gloom, but some really exciting things are happening. I mean, even just using Innocent as an example, I mean, we, we've been going two and a half years now, just over two and a half years, you know. So two and a half years ago, we were in a company and now we employ eight people, you know, because people are getting on board and there's a real um, desire to and, and to change the, the, the way things are. So, and there's some really exciting technology coming um, out. Yeah, and if you look into things like energy and solar power and all those kind of things, some really exciting stuff is happening. And, and I guess the, what, what, what keeps me going as well is that it has to change. Like, we can't keep on a linear model that we're doing at the moment and creating all this waste and it piling up and putting 8 million, 8 million tons into the ocean or like you said, that'll collapse. So we've got to go to a circular model. We have to do it. So it's going to happen. Like, it's not, well, it's either going to happen or <laughs> some kind of you know catastrophic environmental disaster and we all get wiped off the face of the earth. But uh, we have to go to a, a circular model. And so there's lots of um, great people out there doing um, you know great work, great inventions, great innovation, um, and lots of hard work to to create that change. I'm feeling. I guess I feel pretty. At times you feel pretty um, frustrated at taking so long. It feels, but equally, there is um, times I feel really encouraged and really excited about the changes that are happening. And um, yeah, even just today, I was when I went to the, the butcher, um, and they've got a poster up on their on their window there saying, um, "Enough is enough." Graylin banning the plastic bag or something, which is quite, I have to add, quite ironic because the guy who walked out as I walked in was had a plastic bag that I'd just given him. So. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. I had a, had a wee laugh with the lady behind the, the counter. But um, yeah, there are some, you know, these things are happening and, and people are, are, are getting the picture of it. Yeah. Mm. There's a there's a big push down in Wellington at the moment to, to try and make Wellington plastic bag free, which is is pretty fantastic. And uh, I think you're, you're right. It's it's about providing those easy alternatives mm. for people, so they're not having to having to change the way they do things too much. Yeah. Because obviously, if you're people are making decisions all day every day, mm. and sometimes it's easier not to make that decision of 
I'll grab the compostable or, or I'll take my keepy cup to the uh, to get a coffee rather than just go on, get one of their plastic lined takeaway ones. Mm. How have you how have you found the uptake um, from the, from Innocence products yeah. around the Auckland area? Yeah, we're really good. I mean, we we we, yeah, we started very much in Auckland, but we've expanded now to uh, around the country. You know, um, yeah, we've got some great customers all around the country now, and. I think quite naively when I started, you know, you kind of like, oh, this is great, this is a compostable packaging, packaging guys, of course, this is the way forward, like, there's plastic everywhere. And you'd, I got hit with this sort of real reality check that price, what's the price? You know, and, and people straight away assume that doing things more sustainably is going to be more expensive. And, <laughs> you know, it's, I would get frustrated because I almost was like, I don't care about the cost, I care about, you know, decreasing the amount of plastic that's everywhere. We've got to change this data. But you, you learn that these people, a lot of, you know, our customers are small businesses, family-run businesses, personally owned, you know, businesses, and it's their livelihood. And um, the cost of, of packaging is, is, is a bottom-line cost. You know, they don't make money on, on packaging. So, the, yeah, that was that was a real learn early on. Um, but we, for us to be sustainable and the business to be sustainable in this whole model to be sustainable we have to be price competitive so we are pretty yeah pretty damn price competitive really on most of the products a pla the, the polylactic acid is still more expensive to produce than oil um, especially with the price of oil at the moment being so low so yeah that's a challenge but um yeah no people get on board and, and what we're trying to do too with innocent packaging is to make sustainability the norm and to make it fun and to make it funky and make it cool and like I think what's the, the sustainable kind of movement I guess is having a bit of has had a bit of, has had a bit of a an issue in, in, in its image and people view it as hippies and people with you know tree huggers and weed smokers and dreads and they don't wash and they stink and all this kind of stuff and Maybe you might have some people like that who, who maybe I should, you know, share them often. I don't know. But <laughs> um, the thing is that we've got to make people feel comfortable about it as well, coming back to the theme of the podcast. And people like, don't, I, I, I think this is a bit of a New Zealand thing as well, eh? Like, we don't like going, stepping out of the, the crowd too much. We mm. like to stay in with the norm. And, it's the tall poppy syndrome kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, and we're trying to make our packaging fun and colourful, and and um, not birds and bees and trees and stuff like that. And so people can go and get a really funky, brightly coloured sort of orange cup, and it looks really cool. And it's water-based inks, and it's made with paper, which is trees, which will compost, and it's lined with PLA, which is the cornstarch, which is plants, which will compost. And um, they don't even really know that they're being happy and and cool you know they're doing exactly the same as the dread wearing dope smoking hippie around the corner who's got a um, impossible cup as well so you yeah, were trying really hard to make it um, the norm and make it um, sort of cool for everyday Kiwis I guess um, but yeah coming back to your question like the uptake has been really, really positive I mean there's lots of business challenges that I really um, enjoy as well um, businesses are pretty demanding and um, challenging um, venture, but I really enjoy all those sort of challenges that come along with it. And um, yeah, we're getting some really positive uptake and we've had some really good growth and um, yeah, the future's pretty bright, I guess, yeah. Have you had much negative feedback or negative pushback on, on things other than price that people were just like, nah, not for me? Yep, yep, you get that. 
you do get that. Mostly it's um price. I'll be like, oh, it's um, sorry, mate, price, price, price. Um, or I'm just not interested, and that's hard when you hear that and you go and, and you talk to someone like, no, I don't care, not. And you're like, oh, really? Like you feel like <laughs> ranting like this, like you know, these are the kind of people that you hope listen to this podcast, and you be like, <laughs> yeah. you know, but they won't. They won't be the people that listen to this podcast, and they. Yeah, they'll be the last sort of to, to change, you know, that whole sort of idea of the early adopters and then the, the, you get the whole mainstream, you know, and then you get the, fi- the late adopters finally will, will get on board. But, um, yeah, you do get that. I mean, there's a little, this is going a bit into sort of industry specific kind of stuff, but around the PLA and the fact that it needs to be in that heat. And so most people's home composts do not generate that heat of 60 degrees needed. So we need community composting centres or we need commercial composting centres to really um that will generate the conditions um to get the compost heat going. Um I won't go into that too much because that can get a bit technical, but yeah, there's a bit of I guess there has been some debate from from some people around um the use of that and, and how that would work. Um but no, I mean overall people are pretty appreciative of, of what we're trying to do, I think. And we've got some cool, you know, brand ambassador brand ambassadors and we've got some Customers who are pretty proud, I think, to, to sort of use our products and a little bit of negativity, but mostly it's, it's, it's pretty positive. I think the major, the major thing is people, educating people, and a lot of people just don't understand, aren't aware about it, and then don't quite understand what composting means, what composting is, what, how a circular model kind of works, and so you have to do a bit of, a bit of that, and that's a challenge that we sort of constantly face how can we sort of get the messages across and get the education and awareness across um and really short sharp snippets you know because we're so everyone just consumes everything so quickly these days that how do you quickly explain that something is compostable if it goes into the right environment and it needs microbes and it needs oxygen and water and heat and um without their eyes blazing over like yours are a little bit. <laughs> no. Have you have you figured out a way to do that? Mm, good question. Um, I guess we're doing. Uh, we're constantly learning that and constantly getting feedback um, about that. It's there's no real, I don't think, um, sort of golden egg to, to the solution. I think it's yeah. I think I, I'm big on sort of trying to continually communicate with with customers and with um, consumers and with uh, waste management people. So. Um, waste management companies and sort of waste minimization people as well and, and hearing what it's like for them on the front line because they're the ones dealing with the, the waste and, and, and the trash. And so talking to them because what's so crucial with this whole thing at the moment um, until everything is, you know, all packaging is compostable, we're going through this really messy phase at the moment of sort of transition and what's hugely um, influential of the whole sort of success of it is the consumer's decision and the consumer's behaviour. A, if they support, you know, the cafes that choose to use compostable packaging and compostable cups, etc. But B, where they put it afterwards, and mm. that's the big challenge. And that we get that quite a lot in terms of um, referring back to your question before. Like people do say, well, what's the point? This, you know, it's just going to go into a bin anyway and into landfill anyway. And like, that's true. Most of our stuff will probably, well, most of our stuff is still going to be going to a, a landfill at the moment. But at least it's, we've got an opportunity to do something else with it. You know what I mean? So plastic's just going into the landfill and staying there. There's something that's compostable. We've got the opportunity now to create a different waste stream of com- composted or compostable waste and, and yeah. compost that and then put that back into the ground. 
and in, in the form of, of, of fertilizer in, in the sense of compost. So, yeah, trying to get, say, a, a good sort of example is looking at events and stuff. So you get lots of sort of waste-free events now, and like Auckland Council are really good at, at, at um, pushing that. Um, and that decision that the consumer has of what bin they put it in, you know, so they get there and there'll be like a, with all sorts of different methods um, around to trying to get them put in the right bin and people put signs up all sorts of different colours. They have the bins in different colours and they now you know they have people standing there like sort of like a like a like a soldier sort of you know just making sure that they put it into the right into the right bin and into the right waste bin. Um, and so yeah, the consumer still has a massive part to play in, 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 in making that work. And yeah, again, you get a few people that are conscious of it and and know about it and we'll try and we'll know what to do but you still I think the majority at this stage don't know and they just chuck it into a bin and don't and don't think twice about it you know and equally I I sort of refer to a messy phase that we're going through at the moment um, in the sense that we've got some packaging that's compostable and some not and it's hard for the trained I guess consumer to know the difference but equally we've got events that are doing waste free like that and then you've got other events that they don't to uh, the Auckland Food Show I think, yeah, last year, and I couldn't believe it. Like, there's all food, you know, all this food stuff, and um, they just had one, well, it had heaps of bins, but just one waste stream. So just like, and everything was going into these same bins, you know, and so people are getting conflicting messages, and people are, um, yeah, getting confused by all that. So, yeah, we could do with a lot better sort of leadership across the board really in terms of yeah making that the norm making waste free events and stuff the norm and having a composting waste stream the norm which again like I say will happen like it has to happen but um, at times frustrating that it's not happened yet but yeah we were getting there I feel like I've kind of digressed off your question again no no that's, that's all good mate so obviously you're experiencing continual challenges with this and, and a lot of frustration moving through this process in spite of those frustrations and those challenges, how do you keep going with that? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I hope this podcast doesn't come across too much like it's frustrating. Like you go through waves, you know. Like there are times when there's frustrations, but equally, like there's some really exciting things happen, and like it's happening. We've got compostable packaging, and it's getting composted, and that compost going back to the the soil. Um, so um, we work really closely with a company called We Compost, and they are doing amazing things with collecting um, from commercial. Uh, businesses and, 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 you know, from cafes and restaurants and, um, even like they, they collect from a mall out, out west. Don't quote me on that, but on the, that new mall out, out west Auckland. Um, and they are taking that to a place, um, called Envirofert, which is based in Turakau, just south of Auckland, and they compost it. And why I went and, I went and visited that, that site in, in Turakau. And while I was there, a big double trailer truck came that was from a kiwi fruit vineyard. Yard, what do you call what does kiwi fruit go on? On on vines do they? Vines. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of those places. And so they they were there, they were collecting the, the, the compost and they were taking it back to put onto the soil for the kiwi fruit to grow out of. And then we export that kiwi fruit overseas and that's our economy and da, da, da. so it's there, it's happening and it's really that's really exciting. So um yes, there's lots of challenges, um, but yeah, I hope Equally, this, there's lots of exciting um, things happening and lots of successes happening all over the place. And um, yeah, like just now hearing you say that, you know, there's a big campaign in Wellington to um, ban the plastic bag and like here in little, just Grey Lynn. And you know, so there's some really exciting things happening around the place. So I think in terms of keeping going, I think, yeah, overall I'm just quite optimistic about 
about how things are going. And I guess there's a real passion around that belief that we can be doing things so much better. And I think New Zealand's just got such an opportunity to lead the world in this thing of sustainability and in this new way of of living in the sense of a circular model and that we... it is such an opportunity, not just environmentally. I think people don't quite grasp that sometimes that they think, oh, it's just all you know, environmental and saving the world. And but it's it's about uh, the economy as well, yeah. Because we, our brand as New Zealand is 100% pure, and our brand is clean and green. And you travel on, you know, you go overseas and you meet people and like, oh my god, you're from New Zealand. Oh, it's so beautiful. And oh, I love that place. So beautiful. And, um. And we've done a great job of, of, of marketing ourselves like that. And, you know, you, our, our produce gets, um, we get to charge a higher rate because people associate New Zealand with being clean and, and, and green and, and, and pure. Um, the reality is that we're kind of, we're kind of stuffing that up, <laughs> you know, not just for the production of waste. Um, we are just on that. We got, there's an OET, you know, the OECD did a, um, they do heaps of, um, research and stuff but they did one on waste and New Zealand was ranked last of all the 34 OECD countries we got last for the amount of waste we put in landfill per person and in Auckland here's another stat for you we put 1.3 million tonnes of waste into landfill and just in Auckland that's a tonne per person every year going into landfill um, so we're really like we're cutting ourselves down and you know like we we're going to lose that pure image um, and you know we've got all these tourists coming here you know tourism is now our biggest export you know more money comes into this country through tourism than anything else and people come here because it's clean and green and I love it and they come here and they get given plastic bags everywhere they go and they're given straws everywhere they go and they, they're like you know we start questioning that and then they're back over in their home countries you know in Europe or North America or whatever and they see our our lamb, when they see our dairy products on the, you know, on the supermarket shelves, and they see that it's a few dollars extra. And in the past, they might have been like, "Oh, it's New Zealand; it's so clean and green and pure, and I'll have that." But now they're going to be like, "Well, actually, it wasn't so clean and green." And oh, actually, I read while I was there, I read that only 34% of the rivers are swimmable now because we've, we've trashed the rivers, and and we're going to lose that, and um, that's going to have a massive impact on our economy as well, you know. Um, so it's it's directly linked together the environment and the economy. We've got to we've got to um, marry those together a whole lot better. And I think you kind of you don't quite get that. I think people don't you do people straight away think oh saving the environment is going to cost more money. Um, and why while it might cost more on that particular. Um, um, whatever that particular project or whatever, but the long-term saving and stuff as well, you know. Um, so yeah, I guess um, coming back to your original question, like the, the, what keeps you going and stuff, is that kind of um, belief in, in in what we're capable of in New Zealand and what some amazing things we've done. And there's a small little country here, and um, yeah, such an opportunity to really showcase that here and and. and you know, and then the rest of the world can look at New Zealand and be like, wow, look at what they're doing there. They generate, they create zero waste and they reuse all the things and recycle all the stuff and um, their rivers are all pure and they can swim in them. And um, yeah, like then you can start really sort of saying to the other parts of the world, hey, we can do it, you can do it too. Um, yeah, I think that's the kind of 
motivation, mate. Just got to, yeah, got to be a bit away from what's yeah. been done. Mm. Yeah, and I think with that as well, there's definitely parallels to that conversation we were having at the start as well about having those kind of small wins that you get with it that just kind of build your confidence and encourage you to kind of go out there and push a little bit more. But I think as well, another parallel is that we're kind of in the place uh, in New Zealand at the moment where we have so much potential. Mm, So much. But we're not quite sure how to achieve that. Yeah. Well, some some of us some of us can kind of see the way, but as the vast majority of the population, we're not sure exactly how how to how to achieve that, and it might be because that we don't kind of understand the extent of the problem. Because I mean, with your with your quote, uh, your stat about the waste that we're the worst of the thirty four OECD uh, countries, I didn't know that. And I'm pretty sure that I've never seen that anywhere in in the mainstream media. Mm, yeah, why why is that not, we talk about? Yeah, why is that not on the back of a bus or at a bus stop or on the news or on a? Why are there not adverts on TV at night about that? And you know, like it's so easy. It's so easy to change that if we just put some time and effort and 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 energy into that. And you know, there's so much in the media and stuff these days around the price of houses and all that kind of jazz and I know that's all really important, or that's all big stuff, but that's so complex to fix. Whereas putting, you know, waste into a landfill is really easy to fix. I mean, and we could just do some really simple messaging to people that would change that. We could just stop millions of tons going into waste, you know, into landfills. Um, so I don't know, mate. Of course, you, you know, you, your mind starts wandering towards, you know, leadership, you know, and, and government and government policy and both local and, and, and national levels and yeah I mean I think they could be doing a lot a lot better um, personally and but it's just not what their focus is on at the moment I don't know if that I don't know yeah that needs a government change for that to happen or if they will sort of yeah I don't know see I don't know enough about I'm not you know not a politician or anything so um, yeah I get a bit uh, I don't really I get a bit lost for words around this point, I guess, but it would be great, you know, if some, we had some leadership from from the top and um, really kind of championed it and got Kiwis on board. I guess, like, you know, it makes me think when we were younger, Fia Tidy Kiwi, it was a campaign. Fia Tidy Kiwi. I don't know where that's gone. Uh, mm. Used to be a real thing, Fia Tidy Kiwi. Now, now, put your trash in a landfill, Kiwi. <laughs> it's not yeah. thing, eh? and, 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 and pollute our rivers, Kiwis. And yeah, I, we've kind of gone, yeah, a bit backwards in that sense, I think. Which, um, yeah, I, coming back to your point about we've got so much potential in, in this country and, and it's frustrating that we're kind of not seeing that. But yeah, there's getting the, I guess, the mainstream and the, and the, and getting the, the majority to, to be aware of that and understand it and, and act upon it. Um, yeah, those are the big, Questions, Chris. <laughs> it sounds like you've still got a little bit of a uh, bit of work to do there with it, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, my friends will still be getting plenty of Facebook posts. <laughs> um, they will still be getting plenty of um, jibes at them when they use plastic bags and stuff. Um, yeah, we had, I had a funny one last night actually. I, um, I play football every Saturday for the Diamonds and um, mighty mighty team up here in Auckland. 
And uh, anyway, we um, went out for a couple of beers last night, and I um, I we went past the supermarket, and my friends went in and got a couple of beers, and came back and they were in plastic bags and I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? What are those? You did not bring those. And then so my mate went back into the supermarket and um, he's like, oh, to the to the lady, sorry, um, we're not allowed into this guy's car. These plastic bags, I've got to get them as well. Um, yeah, so no, I will be continually, continually um, doing that. And I think just, uh, I just, you've got me thinking, that's one sort of frustration I do have at times, like people who do know and who people who are aware, and like people like my friends who I, I go on about it all the time, and but they continually choose to use plastic bags or don't make the change. And you know, like part of me is a little bit like understand that it is exhausting and it's hard work to change your ways. Um, but equally, it's frustrating as well. Like, come on, guys, you know you're smart, intelligent people, and you know that this is not breaking down. You know it's going to landfill. You know all the stuff, but you're still not. That you're not making a stand, and you're not making a change personally yourself, and then you're not championing it enough. Like why, like why aren't more people? Why isn't it more of a conversation around that? And trying to yeah make that the norm where it's kind of more unacceptable to to use plastic bags and to use straws and to use single use stuff. You know, like it is to smoke now, really, or to um, drink and drive or whatever. So yeah, that, again, I'm pretty positive that that will happen over time. But yeah, I will. I'll keep on, keep on up, my friend. Keep mm. in the air, keep um, uh, posting, and yeah. And I think that that social change does take a take a while, but yeah, having people like you to kind of drive that conversation and bring those ideas to the majority of of the population is is really important, and that's how we that's how we get that change to happen. So mm. for people that are listening today, what are a couple of things that they can go and do? To reduce their, their use of plastic, some some really basic easy things that they could do today. Basic easy things. So, um, I guess it's my moment to shine. Eh? So obviously, reusable bags. There's so many out there. So get one of those and, and just really make an effort to keep using. And I think a key point here and something I learned through my sort of efforts to stop using plastic bags, especially was um, don't beat yourself up. Eh? Like there's times when you do. Just have no option. Like I've probably used two plastic bags this year, I think, and one would been out for a run or something, and then it was like I was going to get a uh, some toilet paper or whatever on the way back, and you run into the supermarket and you then grab oh that oh then we need that as well. Oh, I actually need that, and the next thing you know you've got a big pile of stuff and you've got no pockets, no everything, and it's like shit, I got a plastic bag and I used it, and it's like bugger. But don't beat yourself up. There was one forgot at that time. Keep trying and and and. You know, keep remembering to take the, the your, your reusable bag with you next time. So yeah, reusable bags. Don't beat yourself up if you do forget. It takes time to to make it a habit. Um, just saying no, thank you to them as well. Um, I think sometimes people, you know, you, you touched on it earlier about people are so it's just so natural. I think actually this was off off air where we were talking about this, but um, it's such a natural thing for people just to put a straw into a, a drink or to put uh, a, your shopping into a plastic bag so just gently saying to people thank you um but no thank you and like when i order a drink um i did this on friday night um i was at a um we went to watch the rugby and, and bought a drink for a, a friend and she whatever she ordered and um, i said to the guy oh no straw please and he just put it in without thinking it was such a natural thing i was like oh mate and then just had a bit of a joke with him a bit of a laugh with him so he sort of took it out and threw it on the floor and i was like yeah great. anyway um <laughs> i think just that I think in Kiwis, 
are sometimes are not great at that at saying no and and they feel they're not comfortable with the uncomfortable I guess it's great mm. to bring it back yeah. to the the, the the theme of the podcast like they kind of don't want to upset people and they don't want to cause things and you know most of these people are just trying to do good service and and they're just trying to do their jobs really well and so just sort of saying to people is a great thing just by saying oh hey thanks but I don't need a bag or don't worry about putting that in a bag or don't put it in a straw is really really is make a huge statement not only on your plastic uses but it gets that person thinking and then you know they might start asking people now hey did you want a straw or hey did you want a plastic bag and that's a massive shift what other things can people do I guess yeah everything comes in plastic so you try and look and, 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 and choose products that aren't in plastic trying to choose products that are, you know going shopping and buying vegetables that aren't wrapped in plastic like a cucumber wrapped in plastic drives me nuts I just never buy one refuse to buy it you wrap it in plastic and then you put it into a plastic bag you know like it's so dumb and so yeah do those choices when you when you when you when you're buying things choose to buy vegetables and fruit and stuff that's not wrapped in plastic and what else can you do I mean a, a lot of things people say like plastic bags or oh, they use them to line their the rubbish bins yeah I don't I just put it straight into the bin it's just a bucket it's what we used to always do just put stuff straight into a bucket and then tip the rubbish into the bin all the recycling into the recycling bin and then just give it a quick rinse and then life's still going and there's no such thing yeah. it's amazing those kind of things yeah you put me on the spot a little bit I wish I had a no, they're all good ones and I think that they're things that people can kind of go out and in action today. So hopefully, if you're listening, go and do the stuff that Nick's just told us. Yeah, do it and make it and and, and make a conversation and 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 um, champion it a bit as well. Like and have people on about it. Like make it sort of not okay. Hey, why did yeah. you get that in a bag? Why do you need that bag for? Mm. So Nick, again, a bit of a change of tack for you, mate. Um, can you tell me about a time that you failed? And what you learned from it? <laughs> Good question. Time uh, of failed. So, yeah, I guess it's, it's failure is a bit of a, it's open to interpretation exactly what the definition of that really is. A eh? so, um, I think maybe what I'll use an example is so the the company I I started up in in um, London, Xhip, and so that we disbanded that, so it stopped. And you know, when I started, I had dreams of it. Well, yeah, I kind of had. Dreams. I guess if I'm totally honest, I, I kind of started it knowing that those two ladies probably weren't the best people to go into business with. But um, yeah, I guess I started it with, with um, you know, dreams of it becoming a big thing and, you know, making heaps of money and being really popular. And, and so that um, didn't happen and we disbanded it and that, and that failed. And yeah, the thing is, every, you know, action you do, you learn from really. Eh? Like in every failure, you you make you learn from so I learned so much from doing that and I put a lot of time a lot of effort um, into it um, and it got pretty stressful at times um, so yes it was a failure that it didn't um, become you know an, an ongoing um, business but yeah the, the, the lessons I got out of it kind of weren't a failure you know what I mean that's I feel like I'm sort of trying to cop out of it here and <laughs> I've not ever failed like I totally have um, but yeah I think that's one of the things about failures is you, yeah, it's only if you really, it's how you perceive it, isn't it? Like, if I was, oh, shit, that didn't work. Oh, well, no good. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go back to being a personal trainer. I'll just do that. I tried to do a business and it didn't work, and so I'm going to stop. That's 
failure, yeah. really, isn't it? But um, mm -hmm. instead, it went, ah, oh, that didn't work. Why didn't it work? Well, in total honesty, the, the, the woman I went into business with worked for the right people to do it with um, for me and learn from that and move on, you know. But I'm not like, oh, I'm not going to try business again or, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's probably a, a failure, I guess, that's, that's in, in the sort of more common sense of the word. Mm. Yeah. So, Nick, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Um, yeah, another good question. And you did actually send me these to think about before this <laughs> interview, and I kind of um, was hoping I'd, I'd have a good answer by now. Um, I think, yeah, the last uncomfortable thing I did, I guess taking on this job at Innocent was, was uncomfortable because um, I was a, I'd been in the fitness industry for eight years, and I was a bit of a... Um, you know, I knew I'd been there, I'd experienced. I know I was a manager at the place in, in, in London where I was, so I was the go to guy, and people came to me and asked questions. And I was sort of seen, you know, as the experienced one, and I was sort of at the top of the of the tree, I guess. And, um, you know, got lots of great feedback from people. Oh, you do a great job, and, you know, da da da. And then I gave that up and became an absolute beginner and knew nothing about compostable packaging. Had to do a lot of research. I took, did it my own time and lots of reading. And I was just really fascinated and interested about it, which is key, eh, that you do something that really interests you. And so, yeah, but being, having to ask lots of questions, you feel like you're lots of asking lots of dumb questions and because you, you don't know. And like, so my job when I first started too was, was sales and I've not really ever done sales before. And the one time I did do it was in London for that fitness um, company and I hated it. <laughs> so, yeah, it, that was... Um, uncomfortable you know being a beginner again and but again I kind of had skills to deal with that I guess because I'd been in those positions a bit before um, going out on my own in, in London and, and, and moving to London in the first place and stuff but yeah that was probably I think starting at, at, at in a completely new industry and a completely new job role and being a beginner and not knowing if I had the skill set or not knowing if I had the if I could do the job if I'd be any good at it you know so yeah that was probably the last uncomfortable thing I did. There's probably been other ones, but that's probably sweet. That's a it's a big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do? The next uncomfortable thing I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> geez. Uh, yeah. Um, I I've been thinking along and hard about writing a bit of a open letter to the environment minister, Mr. Mick Smith, about banning plastic bags, and that's. I've sort of started writing it, but I haven't fully finished it because um, I don't quite know how I want the tone to come across, and I don't quite. And that's probably a pretty big uncomfortable thing, and there'd be obviously there's all sorts of um, underlying fears and apprehension, I guess, that I've got about actually doing that, and I've never done that before, and I don't know what that would mean. It might nothing just fizzle out, and no one reads it, or he might actually read it, and he might go, "Hey, Nick Morrison, you're onto something." <laughs> so are so many other people, like the people in Greyland, like the people in Wellington, who want to ban the plastic bag, and we'll do that. So that's probably the next sort of uncomfortable thing that I'm sort of trying to wrestle with at the moment and build up the courage to actually do that. Awesome. That's that sounds brilliant. Mm, well, yeah. Now I've said it, I kind of have to do it. <laughs> you put it put it out there, eh? <laughs> so Nick, if people want to find out more um, about these topics that we've talked about. Um, or kind of follow 
follow along with, with the stuff that you're doing, where can they go online to do that? Well, I guess you could, I'll plug Innocent Packaging. You can go and check out our website and you check out our um, FAQs and stuff there. I've put that together and there's a bit of information there and that'll link you into a few other um, websites and stuff with more information. Wikipedia, I'm a big fan of that. Are you going on there and researching about um, waste and, um, and packaging and Go, there's a lot, you know, the Greenpeace website, Greenpeace um, Facebook page. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff on there. There's been a few um, campaigns to ban plastic bags that have come and gone. And I guess sort of if people open up a little bit and follow those kind of um, organisations and follow some of those organisations and people on, on Facebook and on Instagram and things like that, there's lots out there. Um, I follow this chick called Plastic. That free mermaid, I think she is. This is Aussie chick, and she's all about living life without plastic, and she makes me seem quite um, regular. Like she's yeah, she goes to all sorts of lengths to not use plastic, and she really champions it. And so there's, it's out there, you know. If people feel sort of open up and follow some of that stuff, um, cool. hopefully get a bit inspired by that. Um, yeah, is that? yeah, that's good. I'll put some links to uh, the the ones that you've talked about into into the show notes anyway. Mm. So Nick, I've got one more question for you, mate. Before we uh, before we tie this off, um, have you got any last advice or life lessons or interesting facts for the listeners before we finish up? <laughs> All of the above. Uh, no, um, any interesting facts? Um, well, I guess sort of just talking with you now, going over that kind of stuff, and talking a bit about what I've done and, and stuff. You kind of reflect a bit and I think yeah I guess taking that that leap you know like just talking to you about going out on my own in London when I, I left the, the, the studio I was working at and had a full-time job and, and decided to go on my own and work for myself and, and had to try and find my own clients and all that it was a big step and I was real nervous about it and I took a lot of people took a long time to make the decision but did it and backed myself and then yeah that gave me a huge sense of, of, of confidence um, moving forward and so yeah I guess for people like do it you know like I know this might sound a bit deep, but I believe we've got one time on this planet and it's a beautiful, amazing planet and it's incredible. Life is amazing and make the most of it. Like, don't waste your time. Get out there, get doing. If you've got something you've thought about doing, just do it. Like, and, you know, who cares if you're, what, and like I say, what is failure? Like, failure is not having a go, you know? Bring it to football, great football quote. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Well, I think it's a basketball one, actually, but I'll pretend it's football. You know, so <laughs> take take the shots and um, go out there and, and, and give it a go. And what's the worst that can happen? Especially, you know, here in New Zealand, like, I guess the people who probably listen to this podcast, you know, we're, we're pretty, excuse my language, privileged, you know, and we've got so much here, it's so much given to us, and we're so lucky to, to grow up in this country. and um, you know, most of the people probably listening are, you know, educated and they've got their own, they've got shelter and they've got food and they've got all these basic necessities that so many people in this world don't have. Um, so we've kind of got a responsibility to, you know, give back a bit 